Live from our man caves in Hawaii and Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem, Poopus, and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, boys. Welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 2, Episode 8. This is Blem. What's going on, everyone? This is Mike D. I hope you all are ready because there has been a lot happening since the end of the MLS back tournament. Going to cover some things tonight. Poopus is not with us. He's currently trying to get his bachelor's degree. And so, guys, guys, very busy with school. And so, tonight we will be missing him, um, but encouraging him at the same time. Chuck, how you freaking doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing really good. Yeah, Poopus is just preparing. So, if this podcasting thing doesn't work out, we don't get rich and famous off of it. Uh, his education will be there to back him up. I think he's going for a business degree. So, good for Poopus. He's working on something with his GI Bill right now with some of his advisors. So, he can't be with us. It's unfortunate, but he will be back next week. Mike D, before we get into the episode, uh, we're going to have a really good one this week. A lot of important stuff, like you said. But let's continue the trend that you've been hitting on the past couple of weeks. I know what you had for dinner. Tell our folks listening what you had for dinner. I love it. So today, for all of our listeners, is my mother's birthday. And so we went to a nice little place here in Virginia Beach called Captain George's. And this Captain George's is a seafood-style buffet. Let me tell you what. I got my money's worth tonight, ladies and gentlemen. So I had a little bit of fried shrimp. A little bit of sheet crab soup, some crab legs, you know, a little bit of hush puppy here and there. Boy, let me tell you, it was a, it was a great dinner. And happy birthday to you, Ma. I love you. But uh, I yeah, think shout out. stay away from that place for a little while now. <laughs> Probably put on about 10 pounds. I'm surprised you're not in a food coma. Yeah, I'm feeling you these. Get, you got the meat sweats? No, not right now. All right. They might catch up to you. We can't, use the, we can't use the fans when we're doing the podcast because they create background noise. So you may catch meat sweat here or there. All right, guys. So in all seriousness, we've had a lot of really wild things going on this week and in 2020 in general. On June 5th, following the murder of George Floyd, we spoke to Minnesota United midfielder Ja'Cory Hayes regarding systematic racism, excessive force, and where we go from here as a country. If you haven't, please go give a listen to that important conversation. It may make you feel uncomfortable, but the reality of the situation should make you feel that way. Almost three months later, we're having the same conversation. On Sunday, August 23rd, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Jacob Blake was shot seven times and paralyzed from the waist down in front of his children following a domestic situation in which he wasn't permitted to be at the residence that he was at. In response to this, 10 of the 12 teams involved in the matches on Wednesday evening, August 26th, 10 of the 12 teams boycotted by not playing in their matches. RSL were one of those clubs that boycotted their Wednesday evening match. On Thursday, we read and saw the insensitive comments from Deloy Hansen, owner of RSL, Utah Royals of the NWSL, and Real Monarchs of the USL. In response to his club boycotting their match, Hansen said, quote, it's taken a lot out of my sales, end quote, and, quote, the disrespect is profound to me personally, end quote. On Friday evening, it was announced that Hansen will be taking a leave of absence until further notice. The MLS announced that the Black Players Coalition and the MLS Players Association will be meeting with MLS ownership to, in quotes, continue working together to create long-term change both inside and outside of MLS. 
Today, Sunday, August 30th, it was announced that Hanson has decided to begin the process to sell Utah Soccer Holdings. With all that being said, Mike D, what are your thoughts on the boycott on Wednesday night and where we go from here, not only as a country and, and as, as a league of the MLS, as well as Hanson's comments as owner of the RSL? First, I really commend the players for taking a stand, boycotting and not playing in those games on, on Wednesday. There's power in numbers, and it, it takes a lot of courage to do something like that. There's a lot of trickle effects. And I went back and read the actual transcript from Hansen's interview, and it's pretty surprising to hear some of the stuff that was actually said. In a nutshell, from what I gathered, his response was solely based on business, and countless hours employees and staff had to endure to make this game possible in order to have possibly you know fans in the stands you know food available and and coordinating the logistics of the event itself and the narrative created here by Hansen is silly to me and honestly kind of ignorant what we saw on Wednesday will go down in history and is quite moving like I said there's power in numbers and yes was it unfortunate that a lot of work was put into the organization and the logistics of this match and then ultimately it not happening, sure. But let's make something absolutely clear here. Those people may have lost their jobs or there may be people that are going to lose their jobs. And the reality of the matter is they've lost something, but they still have something that's really important and that's their lives. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, among many others, don't have that anymore. And so for the, the standpoint to be that, yeah, well, we're going to lose money or people are going to lose their jobs. That's something that you can come back from. You can't come back from being dead, you know, and this, this movement that's happening right now, there needs to be change. And unfortunately, and not even unfortunately, the change is going to happen in, in times and in situations that are uncomfortable, just like you said. That's the only way that change happens. I mean, Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem. It, does everybody agree with it? Do people have stands on the military and this, that, and the other? That's maybe not how it should have been looked at. It was looked at as that's a, a, a stage for him to get his point across, not so much disrespect the flag. And it's the same situation with these players that decided, okay, we're not going to play. It's not because of this, that, and the other. It's because there's racial injustices, there's social injustices, there's um, systematic racism and things like that that have been happening for years and years without change. And these are the kinds of things that need to happen to really open people's eyes and get people to pay attention. And clearly with everything that's happened in the past week, we're getting that attention and things I think it's great. I think that, it, it, like I said, it has to happen. This stuff has to happen. And I think that the comments are insensitive. And I'm happy to see how the MLS has responded and how quickly they responded, talking about how they didn't agree with what was going on, but they do fully support their players and will back them. Um, happy to see that Hanson is selling the team 
and that hopefully new ownership will, will take it in a better direction. Like you said, I think his comments were completely insensitive. He completely missed the point of what the players were doing. Um, you know, they are, you said they're taking a stand, but really they're taking a knee and they're boycotting and they're not playing. Um, but it is their way of sending a message that, you know what, soccer, sports in general, it's just a game. You know, like you said, there are people out here losing their lives. And, you know, if we have to, you know, take a, take a night off, you know, because sports is a, a game, but it's also a distraction. And us playing or the players playing in that game is a distraction from what's really going on in the country. Hansen also has a history. Uh, coworkers have come out and made statements about uh, previous racist remarks, insensitive remarks. I'm glad to see the MLS do what they did and kind of force him to sell the team. Uh, but in a recent statement that they actually released today, they didn't say they didn't just like Hanson kind of missed the point. I feel like in the MLS's response, I think it came directly from Don Garber. I think that he kind of missed the point as well. He'd never really used the words, uh, you know, racism or why they are doing this. He kind of beat around the bush and just said that, hey, we're moving forward as a league and he's going to be, you know, selling his Utah, uh, his teams. So, whereas I think Hansen missed the point in, in his quotes that we mentioned above, I think the MLS administration, Don Garber, kind of missed the point in his uh, statement that he did release. But I listened to Extra Time's podcast. If you guys haven't had an opportunity to listen to Extra Time, they had five players on there, Mark Anthony Kay, Kai Kamara, a couple other guys. One of the things that the players are demanding is to, like I mentioned earlier, is to meet with the ownership. Hansen wasn't an owner that was involved in the team. Um, I think when Kai Kamara said that he played for the revolution, uh, what's the owner of the Patriots? What's his name? Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft also owned uh, the Revs, and he would, you know, at least see them in the locker room, say hi to the guys, be involved. You know, the more – the guys with the money are the guys that are going to – influence change and decisions in the league and for your respective teams. So I think for the MLS player or black players coalition and the players association to demand to meet with these owner with the ownership, you know, a lot of these players are playing for a team. They know they're the sporting directors, the coach, uh, they're, they're trainers, but they really don't ever see the owner. That's just the guy with uh, he's backing them with the money and he's the guy um, you know, pulling the strings, making the decisions, and they stay quiet, they stay quiet, and they just feed money in. But then, you know, something like this comes out, and, you know, the guys that are on the field generating money for these owners, they need to be able to meet with the guys at the top and say, hey, you know, this is – we can talk to Don. Don knows how we feel, but are you listening to us as the leader of our club? So I think it's really good that the players are, are forcing that change. Uh, that will – at least creates some internal change within the within the MLS. It, it really comes down to leadership. You had you touched on a couple things that I think are important. Shout out to Extra Time. I didn't get to listen to that whole episode of the podcast. I did get through the first two interviews, which were Kai Kamara and Mark Anthony K. These guys very well spoken, brought a lot of good points to the table, and I really enjoyed hearing 
their perspective on it and the perspective of the players on the field. Mark Anthony K talked about, um, I believe it was RSL that they were getting ready to play. And the RSL players being just totally on board with not playing. And, and it was really kind of when the conversation started, a quick decision to make across the board. And the Orlando game, I'm, again, it was a logistics timing thing. And I, I believe Oscar Pereja was interviewed and asked about it. And he said, you know, if it, the information had gotten to him at the right time, they probably wouldn't have played. So I, I think that that's just unfortunate. I think going into the halftime thing, thinking about, well, did they not come back out? I guess it's not really a big question, but it's like, how do you handle that, you know, in the regular season? I guess that's not really an important question to ask because the the issues that are out there and happening are, are much larger than that. So you kind of deal with that after the fact and maybe take the stand and deal with everything else later on but I think that we're seeing this standing or, or kneeling or, or not playing or boycotting or whatever um, we're, we're seeing these steps being taken we're seeing more courage and I think that it, it's super important to note that this, this is I mean civil rights has always been a thing and I just think that we're seeing it now more so than ever and it's it's fantastic in in my opinion and and something that should have happened probably a long time ago. So I I'm totally for it. I'm here for it, and um, I'm I'm interested to see what what continues to happen. Obviously, 2020 has been just a big question mark for a lot of things, and so really in 2020 anything can happen. So I don't think the the this is the end. I think that there's going to be a lot of other things that happen as well. And I hope that they're good things. So we'll see. The social injustice in this country, the racism, the excessive use of force, excuse my language, but this shit has to end. I know it's not something that's going to end overnight. Each day is a new day to take a step forward and further educate ourselves and open up dialogue and conversation which I think that is very important uh, understanding. And, you know, you and I are white guys. We would never know what it would like, be like to be an African-American in America, especially in a time like this. You hear these players come out and say, multiple players in the extra time interviews are saying, you know, the safest place for us to be is on the field. You know, when we have to get in our cars and drive home, that's when we feel safe. You know, the safest they feel is when they're in between those white lines on the pitch. So I think one of the main things is to continue to educate, continue for you and I to have these conversations. I know it makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm sure it makes you feel that way as well. I remember when we first interviewed Ja'Cory, I was, you know, I was really nervous. I was like, I, I hadn't really ever had a conversation like that before. You know, there is a thing that's white privilege and we do have the privilege of, unfortunately, like I just said, we don't know what it's like to be black in America. Um, so just understanding and being, um, empathetic and sympathetic about you know what they're going through on a daily basis is is important we need to keep having these conversations and extra time is doing a great job as well but everybody that listens uh, spread the message just open up the open up the dialogue seek to understand and further educate yourself guys we're going to take a quick break to um, give you guys a word from our sponsors at a time outfitters after the commercial we're going to come back and we're going to talk some soccer all right guys so now a word from our sponsors at a time outfitters 
We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtic's 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands that let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible, elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Hi, guys. Welcome back to MLS Gone Wild. So you just heard the commercial from our sponsor, Added Time Outfitters. Use promo code Gone Wild, all one word, G-O-N-E-W-I-L-D, Gone Wild at checkout to get 10% off your entire order of unique soccer-inspired accessories and apparel. 14 players between the age of 16 and 23 either scored a goal or recorded an assist on Saturday, August 29th. 16-year-old Cade Cowell scored in his first-ever MLS start for San Jose. Rumored to be heading to the Bundesliga, Brendan Aronson may have scored one of his last goals in the MLS for the Philadelphia Union. Former University of Virginia standout Daryl DK continues his excellent form with three goals and three games for Orlando City. Mike D, how important is it for the future of the U.S. men's national team that these young players are not only getting minutes, but they're capitalizing on these opportunities? I think it's incredibly important. I think it's an amazing thing to see. You want to get these young players invested and you want to get them invested early. And we're seeing that with the recent starts and some of the goals for these, these younger guys. And obviously a big question mark lately has been what is going to happen with the U.S. men's national team. Obviously didn't qualify for the um, previous world cup. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. And so the question is, okay, well, what do we do to, change that there's tons of talent for the u.s men's national team to go after and i think what you have to start doing more is giving these young guys a shot some of these kids if not all of these kids are hungry and they want to make these appearances they want to get to these levels they want to go overseas and they want to play in Europe and in other leagues and things of that nature. And I think that it is super important that now that we're seeing some of this stuff with these young players coming on, scoring goals early, scoring in their first ever debut, that you foster that and you, and you say, okay, well, how do we build on it? And, and you continue to develop those players. For me, that's, that's what it comes down to. I think that you, you, you gotta, you gotta take it and run with it. Speaking of running with it, how fun would it be to be Greg Berhalter right now? He's in a situation where he's going to be, arguably, he is getting one of the best young player pools the U.S. men's national team has ever produced and the youth national teams has ever produced. And we've never really, so these numbers, 14 players between the age of 16 and 23 on one day, either scored a goal or recorded an assist, that is absolutely insane. I don't think that's ever happened in the MLS. 
but it's, it's really good to see Mike D pre-show. I talked about how the MLS is referred to as a retirement league. When you, when you see numbers like that, you know, there, there is a balance. Yes, we bring in older players. Yes, we transfer in, you know, young South American talent, but we're also developing talent here. You know, we just got the new system for the developmental academy, and it's going to be heavily based on MLS cities and things such as that. But there's also going to be other, you know, satellite teams around the United States. But I think having that number, and you know, that's just one thing. Like, we're not going to get 14 players that in that age group scoring a goal or giving an assist every Saturday or Sunday. But even the fact that these players are getting starts, they're getting quality minutes to prove that they can do this. That's one of the main things is sometimes we get these young players and we send them out to the USL and they play some games. Uh, then they may come back and, you know, unless you give them the, those first team minutes, get them on the biggest stage in their country and give them the opportunity to prove themselves. We're, we're never going to know what they can do and what their ceiling really is or what their potential really is. Prime example. I didn't know where we were going to fit him in. We had multiple opportunities to fit Daryl DK in, but Daryl DK came out of nowhere. Didn't come out of nowhere. He's from Oklahoma, absolute standout at UVA. But Orlando started the season, uh, their first two games, and MLS is back with Dom Dwyer. Okay, Dom Dwyer gets injured. That was their guy. And then they sign an extension for Tesho Akindele, and then he goes down with a knock as well. And now you got your third string start uh, striker out there bagging three goals in three games, and he had a wonderful hockey assist last game where he turned right outside the 18, drew in the other center back and slipped it in. Then uh, they, they passed it across the six, and it was an easy tap in for Chris Mueller. Um, what are your thoughts on, on him? So, like, what I'm saying is giving these players opportunities, and unless you get them on the field, you're never going to know. I honestly – we do this podcast, and I feel like I've learned a lot, and I do a lot more studying, but I had honestly never heard the name Daryl DK. And maybe I'm ignorant and blind to talent. Um, but, you know, I also have to be exposed to these things. So seeing him do this is amazing. What are your thoughts on Daryl DK? Yeah, I, I think that there's two parts to this. Yes, getting those players the exposure is important because leading into the next point, I didn't know who Daryl DK was until he came on and, you know, scored his first MLS goal. And, you know, then we knew who he was, where he came from, and, you know, what his potential could be. So, yes, I think that you got to get those kids the exposure. You got to try them out. You got to get them confident. And that opens doors for you as a, as a club. And speaking on Daryl DK, I mean, this is the answer, in my opinion, for Orlando City. This guy. You don't, you don't think they need to get a DP? No. I <laughs> think that this, this guy is the answer. I mean, at least in recent form. Um, you, you talked about Dom Dwyer. Trash. I'm sorry, Dom Dot, guy needs to go away. He needs to go far away. I don't think, I don't see any, I mean, I'm sure that somebody will, will do, pick him up or they'll figure something out for him if, you know, he does leave Orlando. But it, he hasn't, hasn't done anything for me. Tesho was a, a slight fresh of breath air. Jesus, breath of air. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Slight breath of fresh air. Say that five times fast. Holy cow. Um, and then kind of like you said, I mean, it kind of fizzled out early. And then you get Daryl DK who comes on. This kid is huge. He's fast. I think, I think he's 6'2", 215. He's huge. <laughs> and he comes in, immediate impact, quick, fast, and in a hurry. 
The kid's fast, he's big as hell, and he looks hungry for goals. I think that at least right now, hopefully for a longer time, Daryl DK is the answer. I agree with you, and he's also the goat of celebrations. The guy uh, left the field because he had a laceration to his, I believe, his eyebrow, and he came back out with a, a wrapped-up forehead, scores a, scores a goal within the six, you know, right after he comes back in, and then he does the, uh, the mummy celebration. Absolute goat. To think on your feet that quickly, 20 years old, after scoring, your, scoring a brace, I think. Was it a brace? I don't know. He scored a goal. Second goal, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was his second. Um, that's amazing. Situational awareness for him, not only playing the game, but after uh, getting a bucket to be able to be like, oh, yeah, my head, my head is bandaged up. Like, he was probably thinking about that after he got injured. He's like, you know what? I'm going to have to get my head wrapped. I'm going to come back on. I'm going to get a bucket. I'm doing the mummy. Yeah. Right. I'm cool with it. I love it. Yeah, it was great. I mean, you not only has Orlando – been this team that kind of came out of nowhere with the MLS's back tournament and really kind of been a new look Orlando. But then you got Daryl DK coming on and making his, his start and, and doing the great things that he's done so far. And it only adds to that storyline. And I think that something else that it, it makes you kind of fall in love with the kid is the hunger for goals. You know, he's in front of the net. I think his first goal, it was his third attempt right there in the six-yard box where the first one he blasted it at Luis Robles. That was one of the hardest uh, shots I've ever seen in my entire life. Happened with the second one. But then his third, like within a matter of 10 seconds, he's got three attempts on goal and puts it away. I mean, that's what you want to see. Not just from him, but you want to see that from any striker that you have on your team. And it really gets the guys behind that. Yeah, not only is he technical, I spoke about, you know, his hockey assist that he had in their last game where he slipped it through uh, inside the 18 after drawing a defender, but he is so physical. And like you said, on that that goal that he scored against Miami, I, I don't think you heard me. I was talking over you. I'm very sorry. Uh, but when he hit that ball at Luis Robles, that was one of the hardest balls I've ever seen hit. And it was inside the 18 – it couldn't have felt good for Luis Robles. Couldn't have felt good. But then after that, the most, you know, the most impressive thing about that was how he was just moving the defenders and fighting for the ball. And like you said, he was so hungry to get that goal. And then, yes, it took a deflection and went in. But after you hit a shot that hard and then you bully a couple defenders inside the 18, you, you deserve a goal, especially at 20 years old. You're working that hard. That's your opportunity. I agree. But last, last night, we were, you know, we were, we went over, I went over to your house. We were watching the Hell is Real game, which is unfortunate. We'll get into that later. But after the game, we were flipping back and forth between games, which we have been complaining about recently. You know, it's great that so the MLS is back on, but what the hell game do I watch? I don't know what to watch. So, so last night we were looking through social media and we saw that this 16-year-old kid, uh, Cade Cowell, uh, who plays the U.S. men's national youth teams, we saw that he was going to make a start. We were like, oh, let's, uh, let's, let's turn on the game. Let's, let's watch it. And we ended up playing like Wii Bowling or something, and we missed his, his goal, his first ever goal in the MLS. But I, I want to emphasize, 16 years old. I, what, I don't know exactly how old Freddie Adu was when he came in, but it was like 15, 16, maybe 14. Shit, I don't remember. Um, and when that happened, that was like – 
unprecedented. That doesn't happen. And right now where we're at in 2020, it happens every game. It happens every, in the MLS. We got guys that are that age playing uh, and starting in the USL. So I think that's a testament as well to the MLS is, you know, having these young players that – and Freddie Adu at that point was almost a generational talent. So, like, he was, he was the big thing. He was all over – tabloids all over magazines ESPN was talking about him they don't even talk about soccer for real but I'm not saying that Cade Cowell is like a generational talent and most of these guys aren't necessarily generational talents but what I'm getting at is you don't have to be a generational talent to get an opportunity it's good to see these guys getting the exposure uh, a lot of these guys play on the U.S. Yeah, youth national team so they are playing top quality opponents they're playing quality soccer under good coaching so you have to eventually give them an opportunity to do this. So I think the MLS generating more younger players getting on the field and not only getting on the field, but like I said in the question, you know, generating and take and you know, creating opportunities and scoring goals and giving assists is incredible. And we've seen that, you know, young players that, take advantage of these opportunities often lead to bigger moves down the line. We just saw Reggie Cannon, FC Dallas transfer to eh, a mid table Portuguese team. Um, Boa Vista haven't heard of them. Don't watch the Portuguese team, but they're a mid-level team and reading all the articles that I read, it looks like Reggie Cannon's probably going to go in there and immediately get, good minutes. So yes, that's great that he's getting good minutes. What's the competition like? I have questions. Mike D, what are your thoughts on Reggie Cannon's move to the Portuguese club, Boa Vista? I think it's something that you, you love to see. I mean, we talk about obviously the development of the youth in the MLS and the ultimate goal obviously is you want to see these, these players move up the ranks and get these opportunities to play at where they want to. And a lot of the times, I mean, who doesn't want to play in Europe? I mean, you have some of the, some of the best leagues in, in the world and some of the best players in the world. And that's no slight to the MLS at all, but you love to see when players develop and they, they do well and then they get rewarded for it. And, and this move is, I think, going to be good in a sense for for Reggie Cannon I mean de development wise you 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 get a different side of it obviously going to a different part of the world and playing in a different league and and being exposed to different types of players you know there's a lot of different obstacles to overcome so I think it's something that you kind of want to get you know if you want to have a, an extended career and make it to the top you almost have to have these experiences where you go from one league to another to to get that exposure so I'm excited to see what happens I think that you know I I would love to see him get consistent minutes and really get that that development and then see what else happens for him yeah I really do hope that he gets those consistent minutes I kind of loop this into our previous conversation because you know he is a young player that came through the MLS, through the academy ranks at FC Dallas, one of the best academies in the league, and then moved on. But the reason I say that I hope he gets consistent minutes is what we just talked about earlier, or you know, last segment. We have a lot of really good young players. We have a lot of really good young right backs as well, and veteran right backs. And I hope that if he goes there, 
and doesn't necessarily play right away. I hope he doesn't fall off of Greg Berhalter's immediate radar. I think that going there, there's probably going to be an understanding with this club that he's going to go there with the understanding of having a role that's going to be a starting position role. And I think that he's earned that. I think he is one of the best young right backs in the MLS or was one of the best young right backs in the MLS. Um, he's a strong-minded individual. Um, he spoke out against the FC Dallas fans that were booing. Um, I believe when the national anthem was played or when they, when they took a knee, I believe is what it was. He came out with a very um, real candid statement afterwards and was really telling the league FC Dallas fans and FC Dallas ownership, how he felt and how it's unacceptable. And the fans were missing the point. Um, I think this is a good move for him. We have also seen another move this week. Weston McKinney had been rumored to be going to English Premier League teams, hurt the Berlin and the Bundesliga from Schalke. Get on Twitter one day, Weston McKinney going to Juventus. Champions League side, one of the best teams, one of the most dominant teams in Italian football. He's there on loan with an option to buy. He's on loan for like three mil to five, 3.5 million pounds. And after the season, they have an option to buy him for around 18 million pounds. Comparing that to Reggie Cannon's move, you know, I was just speaking on, I think that Reggie Cannon's probably going to go there and there's something written into his contract where he's going to go and he is going to play. I, I believe that is the next step in his career. Obviously, Boa Vista is not Juventus. Uh, Weston McKinney has proven, I think he was the best player on Schalke last season. When, when, when the Bundesliga came back, I don't watch a lot of Bundesliga, but I watch the Americans play in the Bundesliga, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney. But when they came back, he looked like the most hungry player and the best player on that team. And his team was struggling, but he came out and he worked his ass off every week on the pitch. Uh, he looked motivated. And I think moving for him was uh, another step in the progression of his career. But I don't know if he's going to go there and get minutes right off the jump or if he's going to come off the bench or – Maybe he doesn't get minutes. What are your thoughts on this move compared to the Reggie Cannon move? Totally different, exactly for the reasons that you just highlighted. I think that, like you said, coming from Schalke, they weren't really – and I, I could be completely wrong. Like I said, I don't – or like you said, I don't watch the Bundesliga nearly as much as I watch EPL or the MLS – but if I remember correctly, they, they weren't really that great of a team. And he really kind of was a shining light for them. And so here we are talking about Weston McKinney and possible, you know, transfer rumors. And then boom, like you said, we wake up in Juventus. Where the hell did that come from? Where the hell did that come from? I love it, though. I think it's fantastic. This kid is such a dynamic player. He can play almost anywhere on the field. He's got a really big personality. Uh, I was reading something about his demeanor and how he carries himself and um, members from within the staff were talking about how they had never seen somebody that young coming into the team and being as composed as, as Weston was. And so that's the stuff you love to see when a team like Juventus wants somebody like that. And I think that you're right. I don't think that he's going to get minutes right off the bat. Hopefully he does. Maybe he does, but I mean, we're talking about, like you said, a, a top level team in the world. Guy's going to be playing with Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, big daddy Pirlo 
is going to be his manager. I, I think Chiellini plays with them. Um, the Buffon, who's the keeper for them? I, I can't remember. But, I mean, this is, I think, such a fantastic move for Weston in his development. He's already a great player. He's got all these tools. And now I think going to Juventus, I think that Juventus want him. I think that this deal has been written up so that at the end of it, when it's all said and done, he's going to be a Juve player. And I think that he's going to get there and he is going to become something that we haven't seen yet in Weston McKinney. And I'm so excited to see what that is and super stoked for the kid. I mean, you, you go from being someone who is looking up to these players as a young kid playing with them in these video games that we've played, you know, FIFA our whole lives. And then now you're going to be teammates with Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, this is, this is what dreams are made of. So I'm super excited for this move. I cannot wait to see what happens with him and his development. And I hope that it takes him to the absolute next level. Whereas Schalke is a, you know, they're a, a decent Bundesliga side. You know, he got the professional experience in Germany. When you think Juve, you think of one of the biggest clubs in the world. He is going to really get the full professional experience, not only playing with Cristiano, but playing under one of arguably the best center midfielders that ever played the game, Andrea Pirlo. I think that is going to be huge in his development as well. You brought up a point that made me have an interesting thought, you know, when you said that you think that they probably bought him in there, brought him into Juve to eventually purchase him and have him be a full-time player, not just on loan. Usually when a player goes on loan, it would be from Juve to Schalke because they're not good enough to play for Juve, but then they move to Schalke. So they can, they're, they're going to be a starter week in and week out. And I think that it's interesting that you're going, you're taking Weston who is the staple in Schalke's team and now loaning him to, to Juve. So what if you loan him there and he doesn't play? He's not going to develop. He's not, he, he might come back a little bit better, a little bit smarter being in this system. But I think you're correct on that. I think that's not the intention. I think the intention is to bring him there, basically to buy him. And honestly, I hope it works out. Weston is a very confident young player, and that's something that we've, we've seen uh, you know, through Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, and Weston McKinney, we've seen these guys grow and we, we've seen them grow physically. Uh, we've seen their confidence grow. And one thing I really love about Weston is he really has fun with his football. I sent you uh, a video earlier, I believe, of Weston. And the whole thing is of him freaking laughing and just having a good time and him joking around, you know. So whereas he's going to be going to this very serious and professional environment, I think that it's really good for him that you know he's able to you know have that fun side to him uh, I'm just I'm so excited to see what happens with this with the development of this and in, like you said it's interesting to see how almost this loan deal is kind of reversed from what we normally see where you have players signing to big club not getting minutes okay well let's send him somewhere else develop him get him exposed get him confident see if he can produce there and then when he does we bring him back and this is exactly like you said, the kind of the opposite where he's doing well at a team that's not so great and going to a superstar club on loan. <laughs> it's, it's, it is a little backwards, but I think, yeah. I think that it's, it may be something logistically, it, it almost sounds like a trial, you know, for him with Juve. You know what I mean? He, they're not going to maybe outright 
purchase him and say, okay, we want him to be a part of the team right now. They maybe want to see, okay, will he fit? And this is how we're going to do it. Yeah, but with the trial, if you really want to see if he will fit in the team, you got to really play the guy. You got to give him good first team minutes, got to give him the opportunity. Good point. It's a very good point. But I, I agree. I do feel it is almost a trial type uh, opportunity for him. So I hope he ceases that opportunity. He's going to have great players playing with him uh, around the pitch. You know, maybe he'll come in there and he'll take Aaron Ramsey's spot and they'll send Rambo back to the arsenal. I'd love to see mm-hmm. that, you know. One can dream, right? Yeah, yeah, I love Rambo. But in all seriousness, we just talked about, you know, Weston. We talked about Reggie Cannon. We've talked about all these other players. Everybody has their own path. You know, everybody paves their own way to success in the soccer world. Reggie Cannon came through FC Dallas as academy, signed a homegrown. I, be- I believe he signed a homegrown, played for them for a couple of years. And now he's going to, you know, a mid-table Portuguese team. And, you know, you have Christian Pulisic who went straight over to Germany and was playing for Borussia Dortmund. And now you have Weston McKinney. You know, he went straight from the FC Dallas Academy. Again, shout out to them. Straight over to Schalke. You know, Schalke is a mid-level German team, a Bundesliga team, but they are way better than the Boa Vista team is that Reggie Cannon's going to. So he took a bigger step than Reggie did. Um and now he's taking another huge step. So I would love to see, like, this is Reggie Cannon's first step outside of Dallas. I would love to see Reggie then take another step um, to a bigger league. I'm not saying that the Portuguese league isn't a big, bigger league than the MLS, but I want to see that progression continue. That's something that we want to see. And honestly, as ML, or as not MLS fans, but U.S. men's national team fans, we've been spoiled with seeing this, like, Growing up, you and I, we would just see, like, all of our players going to Fulham, you know, or Everton, Landon Donovan going there, you know, um, Clint Dempsey and Brian McBride going over to Fulham, Josie going over to whoever he went to at the age of 19. Like, that was great, but there's never been this much hype. Tyler Adams scoring a goal in the, uh, the Champions League, like, court or semifinals. I think it was the game winner, you know. Alfonso Davies, you know, we're, we just talked about the U.S. men's national team, but the CONCACAF player's dream, the story, the story, the, the fairy tale of CONCACAF soccer and all of soccer's existence in North America, Alfonso Davies, Champions League winner, third most expensive left back in the world at 19 years old. Excuse me, the roadrunner? What, what are your thoughts on that, Mike D? I mean, I'm getting chills just with that intro. I mean, fantastic. Alfonso Davies, you know, you watched him in the MLS and you hear about his, his move and you're like, wow, this is, this is great. And he gets there and the kid is – this this kid oozes confidence. He's fast as lightning and now he's a Champions League winner. So at the age of 19 years old – this is like you said, the fairy tale. This is what dreams are made of. Hats off to Alfonso Davies. This is what the Tyler Adams, the Reggie Cannons, the Weston McKennies. This this is the pedestal that you that you look to. This is what you want. Which we talked about this a little bit yesterday, and I'm going to bring it up now as a little segue question for you. Is he the topic or a better topic of conversation than Christian Pulisic? Giarena, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney. Is he that player to talk about when we talk about these these players that come from the MLS that go out to, to European clubs? Absolutely. 
100%. You go from uh, being a star for the Vancouver Whitecaps, like a mid-table, you know, MLS team. His move, he signed his deal in the middle of whatever season it was, two years ago, I believe. How long has he been at Bayern? Two years? I think so. Year and a half-ish. So he's played like a season and a half, I believe. But, you know, he we knew he was signing for Bayern. He, there was all this hype around him, around the MLS, that he was going to be going to Bayern from Vancouver at the end of the year. He gets to Bayern. You could have never, ever, ever expected that. Not only would he go to Bayern and earn a starting role and be one of the most talked about players on Bayern, a team full of stars, but for a guy that he came in and locked down the left back position, and then we see him absolutely show up Barcelona on that left-hand side, beat a guy down the line, play the seven ball, get the assist. You know, and there what was it eight to two victory over Barca mm. in the semis? Like, come on, it's it's the thing that it, it, dream. That's what dreams are made of for any young soccer player. You know, I don't even think that he thought. You said that he was, you know, a very confident player, and he is, and he's gotten even more confident since being there. But I don't think that Alfonso Davies could have expected to go over to the Bundesliga, not only get quality playing time but to start and be an integral part of the defense and also get up and down that left-hand side. Okay. That, that sounds a little bit more realistic, but you know, we knew that Bund- not Bundesliga um, Bayern Munich always have a chance to win the champions league, but you know, and he knows that they're a good team, but you can't imagine that you're going to go from first of all, being a refugee to then being, uh, you know, playing in the MLS for the Vancouver Whitecaps to then being transferred over to Bayern, to then being the starting left back, to then winning the Champions League before you can even legally drink in America? Are you freaking kidding me? Yes. He is, you know, and no disrespect to Christian, Weston, Tyler Adams, Gio Reyna, any of these big-name young players that are getting all of the hype that they should around media outlets. But Alfonso Davies is all the hype right now it you know even though he is canadian and god bless i wish he would get he could get an american visa and come play for the national team i'd love it um but just at this point being you know we're mls fans so this is this this is what we want to see this is the path that we want to see and we have plenty of players that are you know in route to doing very successful things like I said a minute ago, not every player has the same route. Not every player goes straight from Vancouver to Bayern. You know, I would love to speak to the scout that was from Bayern that was watching Vancouver games. Like, oh damn, that guy's pretty good. Let's bring him in. And you know, honestly, everybody at that point, before seeing video, the, the you know, when the scout pitches this, they're probably like, "You want us to bring in a, a left back, left midfielder from Vancouver Whitecaps? What?" <laughs> Yeah, I can't but, but, imagine that conversation initially went over too well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, and then you got this guy being one of your most valuable players, you know, on a team full of stars. He is a star on that team. And to be honest with you, which is what sucks for him, is he's hit the, he's hit the peak of the football world. He has hit the top. He's played for Bayern, the best team ever in Germany. They dominated Germany especially over the past 10 years or so. And he's won the Champions League, one of the most prestigious, the most prestigious title outside of the World Cup in the world. Like, In his first couple of years with the team. Just go back to Vancouver. Come on back now. Come on. (laughs) We'll take him at the Columbus Crew. We'll take him at the Columbus Crew. 
Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You can, be our, you can start, you can start at a left back for us. It's but just all success. Yeah. It's, it's overnight sensation. And it's like, it's a question that just popped in my head is we just talked about Wesley McKinney. Hey, who knows? This could happen to Wesley McKinney in the next year or two. Who knows? I mean, this is almost the same thing that we're seeing. Obviously he's going from, you know, from Shockey's on a loan deal. I think that obviously he's going to end up with Juve, but I mean, same, same, but different. I mean, you could see this overnight sensation with Weston McKinney going to Juve and getting the development that he needs and getting into a system with players like Cristiano Ronaldo and really taking that game to the next level and, you know, winning some, some serious silverware. So, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's exactly what you aspire and, and to be in. And, and he is that, that poster child right now of that route and happened in the, in the blink of an eye. Guys had yeah, a career I'll, in such a short amount of time. Exactly. Like, where do you go from here? That's what I was saying. But, you know, shout out to Alfonso Davies. He's Canadian. I wish he would have, you know, I wish he was American and could play for the U.S. national team. That's neither here nor there. But it is, it is really nice, and we're almost spoiled right now. But it's what we expect, all these young players playing for these big clubs. You know, we're, we're MLS fans. We want to see great soccer played in the MLS, and we would love to see all the great players here. But – the reality of the situation is the best soccer in the world is across the pond over in, over in Europe. So it's really great to see our players going over there, making a difference. And it hasn't felt great to be a U.S. men's national team supporter over the past like six to, or four to six years. You know, we missed the 2018 World Cup. But since we missed that World Cup, we've, these players have really started to emerge. And Gio Reyna at 17 years old is, you know, getting quality minutes at uh, Borussia Dortmund and is going to be a starter on the U.S. men's national team uh, when we start back up play. So it's it's really amazing to see. I feel really good about the upcoming 2022 World Cup, although we still got, you know, a year and a half to get there, actually two years to get there. But, hey, in two years' time, we might be talking about new 17 year olds that are coming onto the scene and are better than Gio Reyna and better than Christian. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, it, it's a snowball effect. Like once we get this thing rolling and we start to really figure out how to progress, improve upon our players and the way that we are, uh, the approach that we're taking to coach them and, you know, really prepare them for the next level, we're going to continue to see young players, move up into the MLS, into the academies, into the MLS, and then get shipped out, which is great. Like I would eventually though, I would love to see the MLS be, you know, not the league where people get, we we don't produce people and ship them out. I'd love to see them stay, but I want to see the talent here and the talent of the, the league in general get to the level of, you know, something like the EPL. I don't know if it'll ever happen. There could be a huge momentum shift and all those great players could come here. Yeah. Segway. Segway, we got a bunch of rumored moves, all right? All right, people call us a retirement league, but these guys aren't ready to retire. We just talked about the young players, all right? Come on, we're not a retirement league, but these are the guys that could be coming. Cavani, rumored to come here. Suarez, shout out to Pupas, hashtag bring the bite to MLS. Iguain, and don't forget about it, Messi could be here in three years if he signs with Man City and that clause is in that contract. What do you think about those rumored moves and how excited does that make you? It makes me so excited because of what you just said. The MLS has been referred to as a retirement league where players come, 
to end their careers. It's where these stars come to essentially die, if you will. And while we have seen that in the past, um, I think that there is, I think there's a lot of things in the works right now. I mean, you have young players that are being developed and, and getting better. Our younger talent is getting better. And the talent of the league is, is improving. There's expansion teams that are coming in. There's a lot of stuff going on right now that is positive for the MLS as a whole. And this is just another one of those things. Cavani, Iwain, Messi's name being associated in a sentence with the major league soccer is incredible, even if it's just, you know, a rumor. But I think that it, it only bodes well for the MLS. I think that it's very exciting news and will only do great things for this league. New York City FC needs to get out of Yankee Stadium stat and build the like most prestigious, amazing soccer stadium in America because Messi ain't playing on a goddamn baseball outfield, I can tell you that. Absolutely not. But it sounds like, unfortunately for Messi, um, the league is actually supporting Barcelona and saying that somebody has to pay this $833 million release, a pound release clause to even purchase him, which is a ridiculous amount of money. I'm not exactly sure what the uh, fair financial play rule is or whatever. You know, Man City's already been in trouble with that. And it, to, to be honest with you, for one player to pay that release clause to then pay his like 700,000 pounds or whatever a week salary, I, I don't know how it's even feasible. Like what happens if Messi – like he obviously wants out. And what happens if he doesn't get out? Then what happens? Does he play? That's a great question. And it's <laughs> really a weird time, obviously. We're going to go back to this 2020 being anything is possible. What if everybody holds out on Messi? What if this guy doesn't play for Barcelona and nobody picks him up? I think his price goes down. <laughs> it has to go down if he wants to play. And then something's got to give. So it is definitely a really weird and interesting time. And this is a potential signing, obviously not to, to New York City or to Man City even, but to hear the – the speculations around the rumors of where he could go. I think that it's going to be really interesting to see what pans out. Yeah. Um, and there's absolutely no financial way in hell that any team in the MLS can purchase Messi right away. Absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely. Not. I, mean, I mean, even some of these bigger clubs, like they they would struggle with it. It's, it's just, it's incredible. It's an incredible amount of money. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's hard to fathom. It is, but I just saw before I got in here, Iguain is holding talks with Inter Miami, who is losing, who is losing right now, one to zero to the other expansion team, the other 2020 expansion team, Nashville. Neither team is great. Miami can't score goals, so if they can get a guy like Iguain in here, who's coming from Juve, where our boy Weston McKinney is going, that could be. I don't want to say the answer. But they also got Blaise Matuidi, who's going to be playing in the midfield. You know, former World Cup champion for the French national team in 2018. Bring in Iguain, and you know, you may have locked up a little bit of your midfield with Will Trapp in there, and you add in a real goal-scoring threat. You may see a different Miami team. You know, they have they have some young pieces. They have some you know interesting fill-in pieces on the team, but I think. 
you know, Blaze didn't take up a DP spot, bring in Iguain. He's obviously going to take up one, but I think it's something you do if you're Miami and David Beckham. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think you have some good quality on Inter-Miami. I think that goal scoring is definitely something that they could improve on. Um, you have guys like, you know, I mean, you have Pizarro, who's, you know, I, I like him. I think he needs some help. I think he needs some help. Obviously, the signing with Blaze is, is fantastic. And I think you hit it on the head with if you can bring a goal scorer in like Higuain, um, that's only going to help him and, and help the team and, and really get some of that attacking prowess to, to really get rolling. Yeah, Suarez has also held talks with David Beckham at Inter-Miami. What do you think? you think you bring the bite to the MLS if, or bring the bite to, uh, to Miami or do you bring Higuain into Miami? Which one's better? Which one fits better in the MLS? I don't know, man. That's a tough one because these guys are both prolific goal scorers. Um, anytime – I haven't watched Higuain as much as I've seen Suarez back in the day. You know, former Liverpool guy, guy likes to bite people. <laughs> but anytime that I watch Suarez play and I mean even for for Barcelona he's another one of those guys that's hungry for the for the net when when he when you watch him on the ball when you watch him in play he's ruthless when it comes to putting the ball in the back of the net and he brings a different passion on, on that kind of on that front line and I think that if I had to choose I would want to have Suarez I completely agree with you. I think, like you said, they are both prolific goal scorers, but Suarez does bring this different kind of hunger. He is addicted to scoring goals. He loves scoring goals. Uh, and I think that he would fit good with Pizarro. You know, they're both um, – th th they would – I think they would make a good pairing. Pizarro and Suarez, I think they would be a very good, uh, good pairing. Cavani, I don't know. He would be an improvement. Obviously, he's, you know, another prolific goal scorer, but – I think he would be coming from PS. Is he at PSG? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be a good fit. I don't know if Miami's necessarily the team. There's other teams out there that need goal scorers. We talked about Orlando, although I don't think they need to, need to you know, sign a, a DP as a 10 right now. Uh, they have Pereira in the midfield or Pereira in the midfield. Um, they, yeah, they have, a, they have a really good team. And if you have Daryl DK in the form that you're in, I don't think you need a DP. But there are teams out there that could sign Cavani. Um, he would be an asset to a lot of teams, maybe a team like LA Galaxy. He's a really big guy in Scalotto. He loves to cross the ball. You know, he's about Zlatan's size. So if, you, if you're going to put in 20 crosses a game, Cavani could be your guy, LA. Did you, but just, you, got, did you just compare Cavani to Zlatan Ibrahimovic? I mean, it's the same size. <laughs> same, same, same size, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they both win balls in the air. He's not, he's not even close to as really as talented as Zlatan was. Personality-wise, definitely not. Um, but, you know, if that's – even though LA Galaxy's won their past two games after getting their first win against, you know, LAFC. So, Mike D, one thing that – you know, we, we watched the MLS's back term that we didn't know what to expect. But we're at a point now where the return to players happen in local markets. We've seen teams play two to three games against conference opponents – We've seen a number of rivalry rematches finish a lot differently than they did in Orlando in the bubble. In the bubble, we saw LAFC without Carlos Vela absolutely dominate the LA Galaxy, get a 6-2 dub. Return to play, local markets, LA Galaxy, 
2-0 win over LAFC. We saw, yeah. Carlos Vela, we, we saw Carlos Vela play for 45 minutes in that game before getting hurt. What was the difference between those two games? I think that LA, they just got punched in the mouth in the tournament and knew that something had to change and had to change fast. And there's something to be said about El, El Trafico. When, I mean, LA Galaxy is going to be a different team in El Trafico every single time. And you, it's, you almost can't even compare them like to any other regular season game. It's just a different dynamic. El Trafico is, is in my opinion, one of the most exciting derbies to watch in the MLS because it's always different. Most of the time it's explosive and you get this back and forth between these two teams. I didn't think from what I remember of this game, Carlos Vela didn't look great. Mm -mm. Um, Obviously he missed the MLS's back tournament. His wife was pregnant. He chose not to go. Understandable. Fine. LA Galaxy or uh, LAFC did just fine without him. I mean, Diego Rossi stepped up, scored four goals, I believe, in that game in the El Trafico during MLS's back and mm-hmm. won the uh, the golden boot for the tournament. So they – shout out to Blake with the with the hot take way back when with the Diego Rossi winning the golden boot. Um, but I think that you had mentioned in our prior conversations, you know, is LAFC better without Carlos Vela? Um, I, I can't, I can't, I can't say that that is a yes. <laughs> what I can say is that, I mean, you got to think about it. Obviously he's coming into this El Trafico and he hasn't been playing like the rest of the team has been playing, let alone the rest of the teams minus a few that didn't play in the tournament. So obviously there's going to be some rust, but, and then he goes down with the injury. I don't think LASC is going to struggle. I think they're going to adapt and they're going to be just fine without him. But you don't, you can't say that LASC is better without him because if you get a, a Carlos Vela that's in form, it only elevates the team to a different level. So I think that the main difference, talking about the El Trafico that we saw from MLS's back to now in the regular season, is is simply that they saw what happened, they weren't happy with it especially with the El Trafico from MLS's back to, you know, going into the regular season one that we watched uh, most recently and they adjusted and they adjusted well. In that game, the most recent game where LA Galaxy won two to nil, you really saw the hunger in the LA Galaxy without Chicharito and you really got to see how much it meant to them after they scored those goal, those two goals, the celebrations and just their initial reaction after scoring. It was like, look, you guys thought you were big brother, but we've been here for a long time. This is our city. You know, L.A. isn't black and gold today. And that's, you know, you never know what you're going to get with El Trafico. Uh, it's those two teams are going to be ever changing from year to year. They're going to continue to bring in stars. You know, L.A. Galaxy's proven proven that from going uh, Zlatan to now having, you know, Chicharito and just how motivated these guys are to play in this game and how much this game does actually mean to them. You know, to be honest with you, it's it, – it, that there's a lot of rivalries that are created in the MLS, but like a hell is real where it's an in-state rivalry. And uh, in this game as well, the El Trafico, you're going to get up for that game. You know, there's there's pride on the line. You want to say, you know, we see it all the time over in London. Like London is red, London is blue. 
you know, that's what we want with LA. That's what we want with LA. That's what we want with Ohio, you know, with interstate 71. Like we want to be able to say Ohio is black and gold. That's something that we pride ourselves on, you know, coming from that state. And I think a lot of that pride and whatnot comes from the fan bases and that game as it means more, it means more to the players because it means more to the fans. So, you know, both teams are going to be up for that game. You never really know what you're going to get. Something that I missed that I wanted to talk about a moment ago, when you asked me what the difference between this El Trafico was, obviously I think that LA Galaxy realized and adjusted what happened from the tournament to now, and, and they did well. But something that needs to be talked about, I think, is LAFC's defense. Um, I watched the two goals, and the first one, I believe, was – I mean, both the goals were crosses. One, the first cross came into to Zubak, I think, and he, you know, just headed it home. And then the second one was across to Legette. Both of these goals, LAFC's defense was not there. I mean, the first one was across into Zubak, and Mark Anthony Kay was the only LAFC defender there. There's two – there's three LA Galaxy players, and Mark Anthony Kay has got to mark all three of them. Got to do better there. The second cross that comes in is – to Legit, who's running, making a run on the back post, and you got guys on LAFC who are tracking, and they're five yards behind. He's butt naked. He just, you know, obviously he's a great finish. It's probably hard to deal with, but you know, it was put on a silver platter for him, and he just tucked it away. And LAFC needs to realize that obviously their attacking prowess is fantastic. They're an explosive team going forward, but do the small things and and fix your defense you can't lose to an LA Galaxy team like this. I mean, honestly, they're playing without Dos Santos. I mean, Pavone looks great. But overall, this LA Galaxy team is not good. And LAFC, in my opinion, is a much better team and should have definitely won that game and should not have been shut out. Yeah, I agree with you. And for a team like LAFC, you know, they have such a prolific attack that sometimes, you know, they can outscore teams. And, you know, people like us get so lost in the goals that they score and the players that they have. And, the, the creativity that led to the goals and what have you, that sometimes the, the lack there of defense kind of, you know, goes by the wayside. But I agree with you. They need to, to lock things up in the back. I, we're actually – I'm watching the game right now. Seattle's up 1-0. Rui Diaz goal was in, like, I think the 11th minute. Um, so, you know, Seattle obviously defending MLS champs, but they've already got one up on the board. But – we, we asked the question, you know, is Vela – my hot take question, are LAFC better without Vela? The answer to that is hell no. Can they survive without Vela? Yes. They they kind of proved that, you know, they, they didn't do great in the MLS's back tournament, but they proved that they can still score goals. Um, and they, they do have enough talent on that on in, the, in their 11 and on the bench that, you know, if they need to survive stage one of this return to regular season play – I think that they can they can survive it. But this is a huge game with Seattle. I said that all of these games, you know, in stage one are going to be conference games. So losing a match is huge. It's almost like you're going down six points. You're losing out on three points, and the team that you lost to is gaining three points. Um, so if they were to win this game, they could go from sixth to second in the West. But another match, the match that we watched last night, Mike D. Hell is real ended 0-0 at the MLS's back tournament. The Columbus crew dominated that game 4-0. I, I didn't, you know, I, I sent out a tweet before the game. I took a screenshot of the lineup and I, you know, we got Zardes back. Or not Zardes, we got Zellerion back and Mokhtar back. And I felt really confident. We both felt good. Eloy Room came back, you know, our shot stopper. 
I felt good. I said, how many goals is this, how many goals is this lineup gonna, gonna put up? A couple people responded, said all of them. Me before the game, I was like, ah, five, zero. I was feeling real confident. Game in zero, zero. Mike D, what were your thoughts on the game? Oh my gosh, trash. It was trash. Most disappointing thing ever. You go from, like you said, the MLS is back tournament with a, was it four, zero? Yes, four, zero. I mean, they absolutely, like you said, dominated that game and looked completely different than they did last night. Last night was a snoozer of a game. Columbus Crew, who now I believe are second in the Eastern Conference, um, are, are one of the best teams in the league right now, but they're not playing like it for me. They're not playing for, for me like they are, you know, the recent first place team in the Eastern Conference. And um, something's got to change, and it's got to change fast because this is a slippery slope, especially with the Columbus crew. So i uh, very excited to have Zella back. It's my guy, Elo Room, you know, making some really big saves last night. Um, and Smoktar has been um, an, a nice shining light for the attack as well. And so excited to see them back and ready to see them get more minutes, obviously, as they, they come off of these, these recent games where they weren't playing and getting back into match fitness. Yeah, it is concerning, however, that, you know, we do see those two guys come back and we have these huge expectations and we want to see them come out and score goals. But like you said, the Columbus crew did not look like they did when they played FC Cincinnati in the MLS's back tournament. But to FC Cincinnati's point, like, they also didn't look like they did in the MLS's back tournament. They earned two wins in the MLS's back tournament, and it came off of counterattacking football where they literally parked the bus um, on teams. I think it was against New York and against Atlanta. They earned, I think, one-nil victories, and they parked the bus all game. And, Mike D., I know that reminds you of the prim, and you love it. You know, the better teams, they do attack, 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 and, the, you know, the inferior team does kind of sit in and wait for their opportunity to go get one and possibly steal the game. And that's what they did. But against the crew last night, there was no sitting in. They played with the crew. Uh, there was a lot more attacking, free-flowing soccer. And honestly, yes, they didn't have as much possession or I don't think they had as many shots on or shots as the Columbus crew did, but they had better opportunities and they weren't the team that was looking in and looking to counterattack. They looked dangerous Jow on the right side for FC Cincinnati. Uh, he ran past Valenzuela plenty of times. Um, he looked like the most dangerous player on FC Cincinnati. Frankie Amaya looked really good. Uh, Lacadia still hasn't really been in form. But, you know, even with that being said, like FC Cincinnati, I don't think is a, is a very good team. I, I don't know if the Columbus crew were expecting them to sit in and that kind of threw them off. But, is there reason for the Columbus crew to, to be concerned? Like we, we saw after our loss to Minnesota and MLS is back, we saw them come out and spank Chicago fire three nil without Zella and Mokhtar. Next game, we lose to NYCFC who pressed the hell out of us and we couldn't pass the ball. And we looked slow and hesitant to make any passes. And we just did not look good still without Zella and Mokhtar. Granted, they're still coming back into fitness, but then, you know, we didn't score a goal against NYCFC, and then we go over here to play against uh, FC Cincinnati in FC Cincinnati at Nippert, and, you know, big rival game should be up for it. 
on, on the books with a better team, we come out and we put up another goose egg. Should we be concerned? Absolutely, we should be concerned. Artur, got to play a little bit quicker. The ball needs to go through Nagby. He needs to be their guy. Obviously, when Zello gets back and is, you know, 90 minutes fit, I think he's going to make a huge impact. I mean, we've already seen it in recent games. And got to find Jossie. Got to find Jossie. Got to put him into dangerous spaces and, and get him in front of goal to score some goals. Um, but, yes, there is absolutely room and reason to be concerned because, like I said, this is a slippery slope. And um, they need to f- adjust very quickly and get back to the way that they were playing or I don't foresee them being one of the better teams, if not the best team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, one of the most talked about teams in MLS, in the Eastern Conference at least, is Philadelphia Union. Uh, They're unbeaten in the last seven games. They're two points under the crew, sitting in third place in the East. Columbus Crew and Philly face off on Wednesday at 7.30. Predictions predictions for that game? It's something that I I know that we've been talking, you know, about concern with the Columbus Crew. Something that I think that they – have a tendency to do is kind of play down or up to their opponent. And obviously we, we saw a little bit of that yesterday with SC Cincinnati, obviously Cincinnati is not a great team, but I mean, you, you look at this game and you think, Oh, these crews, if you'd never watched the crew before you watch the crew and be like, well, they're not a very good team either. Um, but I think that the crew are going to adjust and they're going to come prepared for Philly. And it's going to be a completely different team from what we've seen recently in the restart of the regular season. So um, my prediction for this game is I think it's going to be a good game. I do. Scoreline-wise, I'm going to be biased, and I'm going to go 2-1 Columbus. Okay. I would love to see a Columbus victory. I don't think Columbus is going to lose. I don't think they're going to win. I see a one-to-one tie. Those are two really well-balanced, well-coached teams. Could end differently, of course, but, you know, Cruz second in the East, Phillies third in the East, two points separate them. Philly hasn't lost in seven games. You know, their luck may be up, even though it's not really luck. They're a really good team. But it's going to be a a fun game to watch tactically. uh, Brendan Aronson, one of the most hyped U.S. men's national team prospects linked with the Bundesliga, is going to be uh, running around and trying to run away from Artura Nagby and Zella in there as well. Uh, Really, really, it's going to be a really fun game to watch. I'm excited. And they scored how many goals last night against D.C.? Four? Four to one? Yeah. DC's trash. Ben Olsen's got to go. <laughs> Jesus, Christmas Day. They are trash. Yeah, they're, they're really bad. But the I think it's – The exciting thing to, to look forward to, folks, is going to be Casper Shabilko against Jonathan Mensah. You know, whoever, like, created the last name Shabelko and how it's spelled was really just trying to mess with people because if you don't listen to the commentary and hear how you say it, like, how do you even say that name? P-R-Y-Z-B-Y-L-K-O or something like that. <laughs> it's ridiculous. When you, if you just looked at it and you didn't, you know, you didn't listen to commentary, you'd have absolutely no idea what to say. So we've talked about two of the rivalry games that went differently uh, in MLS's back as opposed to recent games with the return to play. The last game that I want to bring up, Mike D, is the Florida Derby. Uh, the opening match of the MLS is back tournament. We saw Orlando defeat 2020 expansion team, enter Miami two to one. And then in the return to play, uh, we just saw Miami earn their first ever victory against Orlando, winning the game three to two. Thoughts on that? 
I love this, this rivalry, um, especially this year with Orlando being a completely different team with a different coach, with a different mindset, with players evolving, um, new signings, things like that. And then you have Inter-Miami who had a lot of hype around them in the beginning and didn't really show up early on. I think that they're still working some things out, obviously, but I love that they, they come in and they beat Orlando. I love that. I think that's going to fuel this rivalry and um, it gives them the confidence that they need to, to move things in the right direction. I want to see inner Miami get the, the behind this hype that's been generated for them. And I think that Orlando getting that win is, is a good first step in that right direction. Yeah. And it's almost too good to be true. You've already played, you've played them once, but you've played like, seven or eight games and you haven't got any dubs yet and you know you return to play and you play Orlando and you get your first dub you score three freaking goals excuse me uh you know as an Orlando team that we just saw lose to Nashville one nil you know I turned it off so hopefully Inter Miami didn't score a goal or anything but yeah I thought it was it was really promising to see I know I just said they put up three goals but they have a really really huge goal scoring issue really they have issues all around the park to be honest with you they don't look good I want to see them do great they have a really they have a nice stadium I think their win came in that stadium and that was their first ever professional game in that stadium great start undefeated in their in their in their home stadium so that's a great start great jerseys love the rose pink shorts amazing uh, but, you you know, and it's it's great that they brought in Blaze Matweedy, not on a DP, on a TAM deal, uh, so they don't take up one of those three DP spots, I believe is what they they have three. I'm not sure how many they've already used. I think Pellegrini's on one. But they need to bring somebody else in. You know, it's, it is nice. The rivalries, uh, you know, one and one. Both teams have a victory so far. I can't wait for them to run it back again. I'm, I haven't seen – I have seen the schedule, but I can't remember off the top of my head if they're running it back in stage one of return to play. Uh, I know the Columbus crew and FC Cincinnati are running it back again before stage one is over. So I, I am excited to see – you know, rivalries are nice. The games are more meaningful. And for my, Inter-Miami to get their first ever win in club history against, you know, Big Brother Orlando – you know, who just made a run to the MLS's back tournament and has been the surprise of MLS this year. It was really nice to see them get their first dub. Uh, I don't know how many more they're going to get this year, to be honest with you. But it, it was it was good to see. I, I expect Orlando to, to probably to win the majority of the games in, in this rivalry in the next three to five years. Yeah, I mean, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said that I, I didn't agree with you. Um, I think we're going to see more than than anticipated from Inter Miami in the in the coming games and in the coming season. Um, so be on the lookout for that. I don't know something about it. Just it, it feels like that something is going to click sooner rather than later. I mean, especially with Blaze coming in and you know a potential um, another new potential signing. I, th- I think that we may see um, better things to come sooner rather than later. So. Yeah, I I do hope so. Mike D, I think we've kind of run through the notes, but I think we, you know, covered some important topics and I think we covered everything that really needed to be covered. Uh, Mike D, do you have any closing thoughts, anything that you want to add before uh, we, we say goodbye to our listeners? I want to say thank you, obviously, to everybody that listens to our podcast. We appreciate you being dedicated week in and week out 
spread the word, tell your friends, follow us on, on Instagram, Twitter, at MLS Gone Wild. You guys are fantastic. Be kind to one another. Wear a mask. That's right. So early in the podcast, this was a long one, so we're going to timestamp everything. So if you don't want to listen to the whole thing, you can just listen to the topics you're, you're interested in. But for probably the first 10, 15 minutes, we had the uncomfortable conversation about what's you know, happened recently in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with Jacob Blake being shot in the back seven times, point blank, by police officers. Thankfully, he is still alive. However, he is paralyzed from the waist down. Guys, continue to educate yourself. Um, and open up dialogues about the social injustices, the racism, and things of that nature within this country. Also, guys, get out and vote. That is one of the most important things to initiate change in this country is to vote for the leaders of this country, not only in your local governments, but in the upcoming uh, presidential election as well. Um, So get out and vote. That's one of the most important things you guys can do as Americans. But guys, Thank you for listening. Like Mike D said, give us a follow on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we're, we're putting out polls and things like that where we're trying to engage with our listeners. We would love to talk to you. We would love to start having like a mailbag where we have uh, fan questions on a weekly basis. It is it, it can be difficult to come up with uh, topics and conversations. It is a little bit easier with soccer now back, but we would love to serve you guys. We would love to hear what you want to know not just what we're thinking about that specific week. If you're listening on Apple, please give us a uh, subscribe uh, rating and a review. That does help us a lot. We landed like top 20 of uh, U.S. soccer podcasts after our Andrew Carlton podcast. If you haven't listened to that, go check that out. We have close to 300 listens, which is far and away the most listened to podcast that we've done. This has been episode eight of season two. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoy. We'll catch you all next week. Stay home. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Peace out.